What do you think of when you hear that someone is worldly? Perhaps you think they're fond of international travel. You know, they've travelled the world and, and seen everything. They're disappointed at the moment if you're that kind of worldly. I mean, you're not getting uh, jet-setting across the world. Perhaps if you've heard the word in a church context, you're immediately thinking, you know, heavy smoker, drinker, womaniser, the female equivalent of that, maniser. I don't know how that would, would go. Well, this morning we're going to talk about worldliness. What our passage talks about as loving the world. Now, historically, talks on worldliness were essentially a list of do nots. Do you know what I mean? They sounded like those signs with the red line through them. Do you know what I mean? The ones that you get all, uh, all around. You know, no smoking, no drinking, no starting fires or something like that. Something like that. But, um, we think of them as a list of do nots, don't we? I was given a, a magazine as a teenager called Enticing World. Now, it's not as bad as I remembered it, actually, when I checked it out. I had a look this week, got it out of the, uh, the filing cabinet. But the, the topics in it were there were dancing, smoking, plays, television, sports. I mean, it's only a generation or so ago, wasn't it, that Christians uh, in the church at large were considered worldly if they went to the cinema or if they owned a television or listen to popular music, you know, that sort of thing. But something about worldliness, generally a talk about worldliness, was generally a lesson in legalism. Now, on the most part, we ditched that narrow-minded position. And I think that's a good thing for the most part. The question is, though, if that isn't worldliness, then what is? Do you know what I mean? We're told that it's not that, or those things, exactly, but what does it mean if it's not that? What does it mean not to love the world? Because that's what John tells us not to do, not to love the world. And John is going to spell this out for us. And again, as we've gone through one John, we've seen that he's got two groups in his sights, hasn't he? He's got that group that think that they're believers and are not, who are, in this case are just worldly, they love the world, and he wants to show them that that's just not possible for a Christian. And he's got that other group that are worried that they might not be Christians, but they actually are, and he needs to reassure them. So how is he going to do it? Well, first of all, comes a challenge. You either love God or the world. You either love God or the world. Let me read to you verse 15 again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, what you love decides how you live. John says you can't love the world and live for God. It's just not possible. If you love the world, he says, he goes as far to say, the love of the Father is not in you. You're not a real believer, says John. Now that sounds strong, doesn't it? But James tells us the same thing in, in his book. So James 4, verse 4, you'll find it on the back of your notice sheets. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see there, he's saying the same thing, isn't he? If you uh, love God and the world, says James, then you're an adulterer. You're cheating on him if you like. And John here is saying the same thing. But I don't know about you, when I read this, something sort of started going through my mind. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, isn't it? It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world. So I started thinking, well, hang on, is it sort of hypocrisy? God's saying, you don't love the world, I'm going to love the world. Well, it's not quite like that. 
God does love the world, the people, the place. But what he doesn't love is the system, the setup, the sort of anti-God structure of the world. The web of the world that entangles us in its traps. You see, in John's Gospel, for example, the world is often spoken of almost in the same breath as the darkness that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So in John's Gospel, the world doesn't know Jesus. The world is full of sin. The world loves darkness. It hates Jesus. It hates his disciples and is ruled by the devil. Those are all different passages from John's Gospel that speak about the world in those ways. That is the world as John normally uses it, a godless, anti-God web that sort of entangles people. But then you might be thinking, well, how could any Christian be in danger of loving that? Because if it's so obvious that it's so bad, then why would any Christian be in danger of loving it? Surely you'd spot it a mile off. Well, John doesn't think so. And actually, the problem is that the world is so pervasive, it's so everywhere, that it's hard to spot sometimes. So you know the story of the goldfish sort of swimming around in the bowl. And the, you know, another goldfish turns to it and says, oh, I like this water. And the other goldfish goes, what water? Because they can't see it, because they're in the water. Well, we are in the world, so it's really hard to see. We can't see it because it's everywhere. It can be something that we can love without even really thinking about it. Loving the Bible, as we began to see last week, is not always about fuzzy feelings and sort of feeling nice about things. Often in the Bible, love is about priorities. So loving others is putting others before ourselves. Last week, putting our brothers and sisters before ourselves. So loving the world is really putting the things of the world above the things of God. Living for the world rather than living for God. And we have a choice, says John. It's one or the other. So he shows us what it looks like to be trapped in this web of the world. And that's our second point. The web of the world. Let me read to you verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. John explains to us the heart of this entangling web of the world is really made up of three strands. You could sum them up like this. Lusts or desires provoked from inside us, the flesh. Lusts or desires provoked from outside us, our eyes, there he's put it as. And pride in fulfilled desires, our possessions, our lifestyles. John calls them the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions or pride in life, depending on which version you've got. And I want you to think seriously about these three things, because actually they're hard to spot. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, they're hard to see sometimes because we're in them. They can trap you though, they can ensnare you, they can hurt you. These things might sound a bit innocuous at first, but the more you look at them, the more you see actually that they're everywhere. And actually they hurt, they damage, they don't do good in our world, they're destructive. So we need to see this web for what it is, because it's subtle and hard to see. But once you're aware of it, you begin to see it everywhere. So this is how our world works, this is the root of worldliness. So what are these strands? Well first of all, we've got the desires of the flesh. 
Now, David Pawson, in his excellent commentary on 1 John, defines this as any appetite of the body that stretches beyond the limits that God has set for that appetite. So that again. Any appetite of the body that stretches beyond the limits that God has set for that appetite. So it could be food, it could be sleep, it could be uh, things that we uh, do as husbands and wives and things like that. All legitimate things, but they become a lust of the flesh when we overstep the mark. The desires of the flesh, though, they come from inside us. That's, that's really the, the, the thing he wants to show us in this first part. Now, they're a part of the world system, the web that reaches right into our hearts. And the issue with the things that are there is often that they're not wrong in themselves, but become wrong when we misapply them. So think about fire. A fire is good, isn't it, when it's in a fireplace. It's actually good for the house, isn't it? It warms the house, it provides light, you can sort of toast your marshmallows. I know my boys like doing that, they're toasting marshmallows, not in the house, uh, outside. But uh, fire in its right place, like at a barbecue, is good. But when fire gets outside of those places, when it goes beyond those boundaries, it becomes destructive, it becomes harmful. And our appetites are the same. When they're in the right place, they're a good thing. But when they overstep the boundary, actually, that's when they cause problems. So our appetites are there for a reason. God has shown us how we are to meet them and what the boundaries are. But when we overstep them, they become addictive and destructive. They become harmful and ensnaring. So the desires of the flesh are the parvers that cooperate with the world, if you like, in our own destruction and our own debasement. So the Apostle Paul can write about people like this in Philippians 3, 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame with their mindset on earthly things, worldly things. Worldliness trampled and the desires of the flesh. The second mark of the world and worldliness is the desires of the eyes. So if the desires of the flesh were internal, then the desires of the eyes are external, coming in. David Pawson again speaks of walking down an aisle in a supermarket and sort of desiring all the bits that you're sort of walking past. I, I don't do the shopping in my household because that's exactly what I do. I go in to get like, you know, a, a, a one drink or something or some flour and I come out with like a trolley full of uh, biscuits and all sorts of things. It made me think a bit of that uh, sketch by comedian Bill Bailey where he talks about the Argos catalogue being a laminated book of dreams. You know, you're sort of looking through it, laminated to catch the tears of joy as you look through so many beautiful things, I cannot possess them all. It's that sort of idea. But it's not just possessions in the catalogue of the world, if you like. Life is like that aisle at the supermarket. I want this, I want that, I want this. And it's not just things. It can be people, it can be partners. I want her, I want him. That may be expressed in daydreaming fantasies, or it may be expressed in in other ways. But still the desires of the eyes, the outside getting into us. But it's not even just people or things. It can be lifestyles too. So it becomes, I want to live like her. I want to be like him. Facebook and Instagram have a lot to answer for in this. I want both of them, and I know they peddle dreams, don't they? That's what they do. They show you people's lives or versions of people's lives and say, be like me. You can be like this. And not just materialist dreams, 
for ideal lifestyle dreams. Whether it's a house full of the latest gadgets, or an empty log cabin by a lake with no gadgets, it's the same thing. Buy me, get me, be like me. It might be that, you know, the, the, the lie that it's selling is, oh, you know, you can have no ties whatsoever and just be free. You know, I see some of my friends on social media always sort of going up everywhere. Oh, no ties. Or it could be the 2.4 children who behave like the Von Tramps, you know, sort of line up in order. And, you know, whenever you see their kids on social media, they're always enjoying themselves and smiling and laughing. But it's not real, is it? But it sells you that lie. It says, be like me, you can have this lifestyle. It's the same trap, it's just different lure in the trap, isn't it? Those different things. It's desires of the eyes. It's saying, look, you, you can do this, you can be like this. Chase after me, you can have me. So that's the second strand of the web, the desires of the eyes, the world coming in and actually uh, taking control of our hearts. And then that's all obviously while we're standing and looking on. But some people actually get those things, don't they? And that's the third part, part priding possessions or priding life, depending on your translation. Uh, some translations of the ESV say life, other ones say possessions, even within the same translation. So I was quite surprised when I got here, it's, oh, it's life, but my translation said possessions. But it is literally life. Now, two words in the Bible for life. One is zoe, like the name zoe, or like zoo or zoology, you get all those things from them. And that's John's favourite word, it sort of means like the life force, so you get it with animals as well. And then there's bios, which is like biography or biology. And it's more to do with how we live, the environment we live in, lifestyle rather than life force, things you would find in somebody's biography. And that's the word that he uses here, that's why it's difficult to translate. It's to do with things that you would find in a, in a biography, it's to do with how we live. So really, it's pride in our life, in our lifestyle. Now, that can include possessions, but it's more than that. We've already said, haven't we, lifestyle doesn't have to be materialistic. It might be quite the opposite. But what's happening here is that we're boasting in it. We've got it now. We've been to the supermarket of life. We've, we've got there, and now we boast in it. We become part of the system, trapped and trapping others. They used to say the eye of the uh, window is the soul, but we now have social media, don't we? And you can see in, in those things what people value, can't you? You can see what people have got. Can I let you into a secret on social media? I've actually, some of my friends might be watching, but I've actually followed most of my friends on social media, uh, ones that I don't know anymore, because actually you can't tell what's real, can you? But you can see what people value, you can see what people want, you can see how they're painting a picture of their life. You know, surrounded by friends and family, on a holiday in the Caribbean, or this year's equivalent, Cardiff. <laughs> and maybe to some extent their life is that good. You know, actually it's not always that they're you know, going out of their way to tell lies about what their life is like. But they're showing the pride of life. Putting forward their own life and saying, look at me. Isn't this amazing? And all these strands of the web work together. So let me give you two examples to show how this wicked web of the world works. Mary's 35. Married with kids, a cat, a hamster, and a husband. I don't know why husband came last time. <laughs> actually, we'll find out now, actually. But 
Even though she's married, she longs for love. She doesn't feel her husband is attentive to her. She doesn't feel he loves her enough. She's finding herself thinking more and more about her friend's husband. The stories that her friend tells always makes her husband seem so romantic compared to hers. End of the story, she leaves her husband and gets together with her friend's husband. And she spends now all her time telling all her friends how amazing he is. See how the web fits together? The desires of the flesh as she looks for love outside the boundaries that God set. The desires of the eyes as she begins to fantasize specifically about her friend's husband. The pride of life as she shows off her new life and her new partner. Or how about this one? Paul is in his 20s. He loves to cook and he really loves to eat. He cannot control his appetite. His days are spent dreaming of what to have that night for food for his evening meal. And his evenings are spent drooling over Nigella Lawson and Delia Smith, the, the cooking shows, not the, the women. Um, but one night he sees a triple chocolate double fudge cake with a rich chocolate sauce on one of the programs. And he's hooked. He gets out the ingredients, he bakes it, and then he eats the whole thing, even though it's actually designed to serve four people. Then he Instagrams the whole thing as he's going through, including a picture of the crumbs on the plate at the end, saying, so happy right now, hashtag so happy right now. Do you see how those things work together? You see, he the, sees with his eyes. He, he starts with an appetite going beyond what it should be. Sees with his eyes, and then actually joins in that web. These are people who love the world. The stories end in adultery and gluttony. Do you notice as well, both stories end with people who are quite happy about it. They think they're living the dream. Sometimes, though, uh, the web doesn't always end in a good way for them, does it? Actually, sometimes it just ends in sadness. But people become caught in this web. One person's pride of life becomes another person's desires of the eyes. And it just goes round and round in circles. All of us are caught in these webs. And we don't even think about it as a trap. That's part of the way that it works, isn't it? We think of it as just like the game of life. Even though we don't realise we're trapped in that game. I don't know if you remember the advert for the game of life in the early 90s. It's showing my age now. But we, we didn't have the game of life. The, the family down the road had the game of life. And we had this, this sort of knockoff version, which was where you tried to lose everything. But there was an advert for the game of life, and it said, this was the sort of, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Oh, we can sing now, but I'm not going to. Um, this was what the sort of jingle was. Be a winner at the game of life. Find a job and money, maybe. Get married, have a baby. Take a chance, find romance, all your dreams may come true. That's what the world dreams about, isn't it? That's the game of life for the world. And it's a trap. That's the heart of worldliness. And yet it sounds so normal, doesn't it? Eating cake, looking for love, earning money. But in one sense, that's what worldliness is. The normal way of the world. But the way of the world is the web of the world. Not that those things are evil, but if we live for them, they become ensnaring traps. They trap us like idols have got hold of us. And this explains why you can't love them and love God. Let me explain what I mean. A few weeks ago, we looked at the word fellowship, and we said it was the Belinda Carlisle principle. Okay, if you remember her, she was early 90s as well. We dream the same dream, we want the same thing. That's fellowship, John says. We dream the same dream, we want the same thing. 
We, we, we share those values together. What worldliness is, is dreaming the same dream as the world. It's wanting what the world wants. So really, it's a heart thing. And this makes it much less superficial than whether do we go to the cinema or do we smoke. It's asking us at a heart level, what do we want? What do we desire most? Is it the dreams of the world? The house? The family? The security? The good life? Because if that's what we want most, then that's a clue that we're not in fellowship with God. Because actually we're in fellowship with the world. We want the same things as the world. Now again, none of those things are wrong. But if that's what we're living for, if that's the big thing in our life, then we're not on the same page as God. We're on the same page as the world, which is what worldliness is. And how can we be on the same page as the world and be on the same page as God? How can we become a Christian and our dreams and aspirations not change? We follow the way of the world, the web of the world, the traps us, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. John says we can't do that and love God. So what's the alternative? Well, last point, the alternative, verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In typical John style, he finishes with an encouragement after a challenge. An encouragement to escape the web. Investing in the web is stupidity, says John, because the world is passing away. One day, all the possessions we've worked for, tried so hard to buy, all the empires we've built, all the money we've earned, all the passions we've spent our life pursuing, will be gone. The world and all its desires are passing away. You may as well invest in the Titanic, says John. Can you imagine that on Dragon's Den, knowing what we know now? That's wonderful investment opportunity. Is this unsinkable boat called the Titanic. You know, who wants to invest? Who would invest in that? And yet that's what we do every day, isn't it? We invest in a world that is passing away. We spend our time and our effort on things that do not last. Even in our own lifetime, they don't last, do they? Those cars that we chase after, they rust. Houses that we spend our lives paying mortgages for fall into disrepair. Paul's chocolate cake didn't even last an evening, did it? And that's what we do. We work and sweat and toil for things that don't last. The desires of the world that pass away. But there is an alternative. There is something that abides, something that lasts, something more permanent than even the world that we live in. The desires of God, the will of God, and the one who does it, that's what lasts. Not someone who lives for what the world wants, but someone who lives for what God wants. That's the alternative, that's the escape from the web of the world. Not living for the desires of the flesh or the desires of the eyes, but living for the desires of God. What he wants. And that is fellowship with God, isn't it? Dreaming the same dream, wanting the same things as him. And that's godliness. That's the escape from worldliness, isn't it? So what does God want? 
Well, it's not a guessing game. God has told us what he wants. He's told us in here, hasn't he? In the Bible. The will of God that he's talking about is not something mysterious and unknown. It's what God has told us that he wants. I don't know if you've ever had that situation where uh, you've asked for something for your birthday. Uh, again, I did this a little while ago. I won't name any names. Um, they're not here, but they might be watching uh, later on. But um, I asked for something for my birthday. I made it quite clear, made sure I didn't buy it, gave them all the details, even told them where the cheapest place to buy it from was. You know, I was looking forward, you know, got round to my birthday in September, I was really looking forward to it. And I opened my parcel from them and it was something else. They hadn't got me what I wanted. And when I spoke to them, they said, oh, we know that you said you wanted that, but we thought you'd prefer this. I'm thinking, no. I said I wanted it because that's what I want. That's why I said it. It wasn't a trick. I wasn't trying to you know, fool you into something. This is really what I wanted. And do you know what happens nine times out of ten when that happens? What they've given you isn't something that you wanted. It's something that they wanted. And they thought, well, I liked it, so I think that they will like it. But that's not how it works, is it? And yet that's so often how we treat God's will. I know you said you wanted me to love my brother. But I was thinking, well, that's hard work. So I'm just going to ignore it instead. That's okay, isn't it? I know that, that you said that was wrong, but my motive was love. So that makes everything okay? No, God's will has been revealed to us, hasn't it? Here are some statements from the Bible about the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your being holy, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One last one. 1 Peter 2.15 But this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God's actually told us what he wants to do. We spend all our time at all, maybe it's this thing, maybe it's that thing, but God's told us what to do. And how different those are from the desires of the world. I didn't know Jesus was going to pray it earlier, uh, and you mentioned it in your prayer, but I got the same verse, <clears throat> thinking about the purpose of life. This is what Jesus says. Do you not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? We're not to live for things that don't last. Instead, we're to live for God and his purposes, his will. Because those things will last, last on into eternity. So a stark choice is laid before us this morning, and it's so much more fundamental than dancing or no dancing, smoking or no smoking, television or no television. It's love the world or love God. It's live for the world or live for what Jesus died for. Live for the things that are passing away or live for something that lasts. And every day we make that decision, don't we? Will we live for God today or will we join in with the game of life? Will we do what God wants today or what my flesh and my eyes tell me that they want? Will we boast in the pride of life or will we boast in God Will we be worldly, or will we be godly? Now that might involve doing or not doing things. 
But it won't be a box-ticking exercise or mistaking legalism for holiness. Worldliness is far more subtle. It's not a do-and-don't checklist. John tells us, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And it's my prayer that that's what we'll do. We'll live for God and love him with all our hearts. Let's pray.